Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Today and, um, and next week as well, we're going to look at the book of Acts, uh, which comes right after the, the uh, gospel, so New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Um, and we're going to look at these first believers that, um, that shook Jerusalem and the surrounding region. They had, they had boldness. They had faith. They moved in miracles. There were signs and wonders. There was radical generosity. And, you know, often we might hear in, in church circles, we need to come back to, you know, the early church or the book of Acts church. You know, church has become too, you know, institutionalized or too well managed, which is, which is true. But, but my view is quite simply this, is that if we want a move of God like the book of Acts, then it's time to act like the early church. We can't expect early church miracles if we're not doing the things that the early church did. And so while it's uh, important to go after those things, and we'll talk about that today, it's also important to remember that in all the salvations, healings, baptisms, miracles that were going on, the, there were still challenges in the, in the community of the church. That as early as five chapters in to this new church, there's already... Um, there's already someone promising that they've given all their money from the sale of the property, but in fact, they're holding some back, and so they lie to God, and they lie to the leaders, and God's like, you know what, this unity is too important, so see you later, um, you're dead. Um, basically, next chapter over, there's racial tension in the food ministry. By the time Paul writes the church in Corinth, he's addressing sexual immorality in the church there, and he says that it's even worse than the pagans as a man who's living in sin with his stepmother. So it's important to remember that while we go after all those things of the early church, there was still mess there. It wasn't some utopian Christian, everything was just amazing and everyone was wonderful. No, they still had stuff to sort out. But in all of that, there was this hunger and this desire that, that, that we are witnesses of Christ, that we know what he's done and we want to spread this to the ends of the world. And so what was at the heart of this great move of God that caused this church in the book of Acts to be such a powerhouse for the kingdom of God? And so to find out what I want us to do is, uh, in the time that's ahead of us, we're going to take a short sort of like, top-level overview of the start of the book of Acts. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing, 28 chapters. It's a great read. But, but, but we're going to go on a bit of a journey. We're going to do lots of scriptures. But we're going we're gonna to look for this thread that's through the book of Acts, especially the first, we're going to be in, in about the first nine chapters, and go, what was it there that we can grab a hold of because our desire is to be a powerhouse church, a church that goes after the things of God, a, a church that's not a religious tick the box, yes, I came to church, tick, done, you know, I said, how are you, good, how are you, good, are you busy, I'm busy, good, Christmas is coming, amen, yes, all right, see you next Sunday, no, no, we want, we want to go beyond that. And so, so Acts opens up with, Jesus ascending into heaven. He, he's risen from the dead, but he gives him this promise. And this is Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He's speaking to his followers. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. So, so we see that Jesus says there's power coming. 
It's for a purpose. It's not for your own gain. It's not for your own fame, but, but it's to be his witness. It's not just to uh, go to your own people, but it's, it's going to spread out to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying this is coming, but he says you need to go and wait. But this wasn't like waiting for the drive-through or getting frustrated because you went straight after school pickup to Macca's for a one dollar. I think they're either dollar fifty now. You know, slushy um, and you know half of Mandra's there as well. This is not that type of waiting. This is waiting in anticipation for God to do something. This, this is what they do in their waiting. This is uh, further along, verses thirteen and fourteen of Acts one. And when they had entered. They went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So there's about 120 of these followers of Jesus there. They're waiting. But they're not just sitting around, you know, playing on their, you know, Candy Crush or something like that. Like they're, they're there and they're devoting themselves to prayer. They're probably praying. We, we don't know what they're praying, but they're probably praying how Jesus taught them to pray. You know, our Father in heaven, we, 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 we hallow your name. We, we, we say your kingdom come, your will be done. We, we say forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And during this time... Peter stands up and he says this, hey, look, we've lost Jesus Iscariot. Sorry, Jesus Iscariot. Whoa. We've lost Judas Iscariot. <laughs> we may need to edit that from the podcast. No, we've lost, we've lost Judas Iscariot. So we need to find a replacement apostle. And so they put forward two. And then what do they do? This is verse 24, uh, 25, I think. It says this, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. So what do we find the early church doing again? They're praying. Not being caught up in their own ability to decide. They're like, God, okay, we put this before you. They're going to flick over. This is now Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. We, we find them devoting themselves again to prayer um, in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Suddenly what Jesus has pro had promised comes. It comes to these disciples, they're changed forever, they're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, the same guy who not too long ago denied Jesus in front of the servant girls, he was getting taken to the cross, he's standing up and he's preaching to a crowd in Jerusalem. He's saying, you must be, you must be born again, you must be saved, you, you crucified Jesus, but now is the time to repent and be baptized. And so Peter, filled with the Spirit, preaches like this and 3,000 people make that decision and get baptized. Amazing. I wonder what their system of baptism was. It probably wasn't one. It was like, come up, donkey, let's get, let's get out, let's find a river somewhere, let's, 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 do, what, let's do whatever. There's this move of God, this powerhouse, fire of God is starting to move not only on the disciples, but out and into people. And then we see again Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It continues. Peter and John pray for a lame man. He gets healed. Peter preaches. The religious rulers get angry and tell them, you both can't speak or teach. 
in the name of Jesus anymore. Peter and John respond. They're like, this is a paraphrase, like, sorry, guys, no can do. We need to be witnesses of what we have heard and seen. And so they go back to the believers and they say, hey, this is all that's happened. And then what do we see them do, do again? This is Acts 4, verse 29 to 31. They're, they're praying. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God in boldness. Notice once again, they pray and notice their prayer. They're not like, God, can you please get rid of this persecution from us? God, this is hard for us. We, we, we thought everyone would be for us because we're, we're serving you. No, no, they, they don't pray like that. They pray, look upon their threats. Grant to your servant, servant sorry, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. God, fill us with power. This is what they're saying. God, do something in me. We know we are witnesses to what we have seen and heard of Jesus Christ. And so, God, you've got to fill us with your power so that we can have the boldness and strength in that. As people are being healed, demons are being cast out. They're arrested. Um, uh, Peter and John are arrested again, and an angel breaks them out out of jail. They're brought before the religious council again and told, don't speak the name of Jesus anymore. And, and, and then we jump into, we're into Acts 6. This is the, the highlight real version of it, right? We're already, we've already made it to Acts 6, right? This is Acts 6. Once again, there's a bit of a mess. There's complaints. People are being left out of the food program. So they need to create more of a leadership structure to release the apostles to do what they need to do. This is Acts 6. Verses 3 to 6. This is their answer. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, who you, who, sorry, whom will you appoint to this duty? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pamius and Nicholas, uh, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And what did they do? They prayed and laid hands on them. What do we see again? We see prayer. We see prayer being this key focus. The apostles, that is the leaders of the church, saying we can't get caught up in just all these operational things here, but they still need to happen. So what do we need to do? We need, to, we need to pray. We need to set people in. And, and then one of these people that's selected, a guy called Stephen, he's there doing, doing the business. He's in the food ministry, but he's not just handing out, you know, loaves of bread or, 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 or something like that. He's, he, he's praying for people. He's performing great miracles. And so once again, he's brought before the religious leaders and, and he gives it to them. It's like a, if, if you, you, can, you can read it in, um, in Acts chapter, Chapter 6 or 7, I think that is. Sorry, he gives this fire-filled, confronting message. He calls them stiff-necked and so that they've, they've resisted the Holy Spirit. And so they, they, they lose the plot. You know, you know, read it in the Bible. It says that they are so angry, they're like grinding their teeth at him. That's what, that's what it talks about. It's crazy. They, they're, going, they're going after him. They lose the plot and so they throw him out of the city. And they stone him. They throw rocks at him. Until he dies and just 
just so you know, because we can, we can go there for a second. It wasn't just a, like a one-hit wonder, get a big rock and hit him in the head. Uh, generally, in stoning, they would start at the feet and, and go all the way to the head. And they, the, the point was to slowly inflict pain as much as possible. Why? Because they wanted to make a public example of the person saying, this is not what you do. So they, they, they stoned Stephen. And while this is happening, what Stephen found doing is Acts 7, 59 and 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Falling asleep is the, is the Bible term for dead. We, we say things like someone passed away. If you don't want to say that they died, they say he fell asleep, right? But he died. That's what, that's what happened. So he's there under this intense persecution. He's being stoned. He's in pain. And what do we find Stephen doing, this, this leader of the early church? We find him praying. Not only do we find him praying to God, we, we find him praying for the people that, that, that are inflicting this horrendous crime on him. Can, can we just keep going a bit quickly? I'll, I'll just keep going. You know, preachers ask that. They're not really asking you. They're like just telling you, this is what I'm doing. Let's keep going. Okay, Peter and John, they go to Samaria because they've received word of, because uh, these Samaritans have received the word of God, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. It says this about them. This is Acts 8 now, 15 and 17. Uh, speaking of Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. It, it, it continues on. In chapters 8 and 9, Saul, we, we know him later on as Paul, writes two-thirds of the New Testament. But at this time, he's persecuting Christians. He is going to Damascus with the purpose to put Christians, you know, followers of Jesus, in jail to persecute them. And he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. Bright light, gives his life to Christ. He goes blind. And then God sends him to a man called Ananias. This is Acts chapter 9 and 11. Um, and the Lord said to him, rise. So this is speaking to Ananias. Uh, it says, and the Lord said to him, that's to Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. For behold, what's he doing? He's praying. And so this Saul, who becomes Paul, new convert to Christ, just had this Damascus Road encounter. What do we find him doing again? He's praying. Verse 17 to 18 of 9 again. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road um, by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Amazing. Amazing. We, we could just spend the rest of our time going through Acts, but one, one more. Peter goes to the house of a lady who's passed away. Her friends are gathered around there. They're, they're, they're grieving. This is verse 40 of chapter 9. It says, but Peter put them all outside. He knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. 
I know we've done like the 20,000 foot up in the air view, but I know we've covered a lot, but I'm hoping that you've seen this, this thread that we're trying to bring through here. You know, if you want to see our city turned upside down for Jesus, if you want to see miracles and signs and wonders break out, if you want to see addictions broken, homelessness decrease, violence decrease, suicide decrease, if you want to see marriages transformed, if you want young people to find identity for older people to understand the value and the hope that they have, if you want to see hope restored and the kingdom of God come to earth in Mandarin, in Peel, in WA, in our nation, like it is in heaven, then surely... Surely it must be time to pray. Surely it must be time to think outside of ourselves. Surely it must be time to think beyond our own personal challenges and problems and headaches, even though God cares about those. He really does. We don't just say that to make ourselves feel good. He cares about everything that goes on in your life, but also He cares about everything else that goes on out there. He cares about every single person. And for us as a church, surely it must be time to pray. Pastor Tuck Barner, who's a pastor from New Zealand who spoke at our national conference, he said this great line, and I remember it because Andrew's repeated it a fair few times. He says this, we've taught and inspired people to praise, but have we taught them to pray? Have we taught them to pray? Nothing wrong with praise. Of course, there's power in praise. We celebrate in praise. We lift up. We sing a song that's literally called praise, right? We, 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 we love praise, right? But what, what about if every own your street carols flyer that only got placed in letterboxes, but as it was being placed in, it was prayed over God, your kingdom come, your will be done in this family, in this home. What what if before giving a flyer to a friend that we're inviting to carols that we intentionally prayed over them, God, I call this person to Christ. This Christmas, let salvation come to their house. Now is the time. What if um, as you volunteered for carols and were, and were setting up or in the car park or, or doing whatever, cooking food, you know, what, what if as you did that, you were praying under your breath, God, let your presence fill this place. God, come on, we're not just doing an event for an event's sake, but God, we are believing for your presence to come. What if, what if as the band is singing, um, what are we singing, the first Noel or, um, or Joy to the World, you were singing it and you were saying, come on, God. Come on, God, as they're singing this. These aren't just traditional songs. We're declaring. It, you know what? It's amazing the theology you get to sing over a crowd when you sing Christmas carols. Like if you just, I know we get used to the words, but if you read the words, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like we're talking about the curse being broken. We're talking about Jesus being the joy of the world. And we get to sing this and people celebrate it. Like amazing. But what if, it's, is, what if as you were singing that, you're like, come on, God, move. Come on, God, move by your presence. Come on, God, I see that person over there. I don't normally see them at church. Maybe they don't know you. God, I'm praying for them. Not in some weird, you don't, you don't have to stretch their hand, your hand out or get super close to them or anything like that. But just under your breath, like, God, come on, move on their life. Move on their, move on their finances. What if each Wednesday that you serve at Toddler Jam, you're praying, God, let your presence just come over these parents. God, plant seeds of your word in these children, God. Can, can, come and move. We're seeing jump, jump, star, or, you know, I know that one. Jump, jump, star. Anyway, it's very catchy. We're seeing jump, jump, star, but we're saying, God, come and move in power. Come and move by your mighty work. Come on, call people to Christ. Let them come into this place. See that doesn't fall down when they walk in, and then let them come back and give their life to Christ.
What if as a teenager, you're inviting your friend who doesn't know Christ to youth? What in fact, maybe this is on the planner, on the 1st of December, you're inviting them to just dance. And so you're inviting them to that, but in your own term, you've been praying, God, pour out your spirit on their life. Help their dancing as well because they're terrible. But God, pour out your, pour out your spirit on their life. I, I, I'm bringing them to youth. I'm inviting them on a Friday night because then I want to invite them to the next night. And then Chris is going to preach the week after. And then Jackie's going to share something the week after. Then I'm going to believe that they're going to give their life to Christ, that God is going to turn their life around and live on the inside of them like he's lived on the inside of me. It's time to redig wells of prayer. Come on, where disappointment and apathy have dried them up, where a lack of confidence has spoken louder than the Word of God, the powerhouse, a church on fire. As I read through Acts and the early church, this, this, would, this would be my summary of what they did. We try to speak about these attributes a lot across the life of the church. You may, you may pick up on some here. But these are the things that I believe were so key. They had a devotion to God's Word. We, we read that all through Acts. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the Word of God. They had a commitment to gather in community, under fire, under pressure, under Roman and Judaism's rule. They had a commitment to gather in community. They had a passion to pray, and they had a lifestyle of radical generosity. We're speaking about the passion to pray, if you hadn't picked that up yet, today. But what, what, what did this early church have that, was, that made them a powerhouse? And I know today has been a little bit more of a, we would call it in Bible college, a biblical survey of the first nine chapters of Acts. I know, sorry, not so many super cool, punchy one-liners, which, you know, my messages always have, joking. But here's, I, I got one point, one point today, as we're getting ready to wrap up and worship and pray together. One point is this, is that we need to cultivate a passion for prayer. Cultivate a passion for prayer. Maybe Ben can come and join me, actually. You know, passion always grows with the right ingredients. Yeah, it doesn't usually start white hot. It becomes that. We, we cultivate it. It grows. You know, when Rachel and I first briefly met at a youth camp, we were leaders, not students, just say no students, um, <laughs> I thought she was older than she was. She thought I was unfashionable and dorky. I was wrong. She was right. <laughs> then we met again at a different church conference, and a passion started to grow. We went down a water slide together. It's not metaf metaphorical. We actually went down a water slide <laughs> together. Soon, soon after that, I traveled two and a half hours from a place called Morpeth to Port Macquarie to spend the day with her. Why? Because the passion grew again. We, we started to talk on the phone back in those days. really sound like an old man now. It was a landline with the long cord so you could put it into your room so your younger brothers couldn't hear what you were talking about. Yep, yep. Remember those? None of this texting stuff we actually talked. Wow. And what happened? Passion grew again. We first kissed by the river near Warhope, and once again, the passion grew, and that's where I'm stopping. Because <laughs> my daughters and in-laws are like, shut up. <laughs> I could go on, but you get the point. 
come on, let's build in our church a passion to pray. You know, we're going to take some time to worship again and pray. And we believe in the infilling power of the Holy Spirit to go and fill us with a passion to pray. But can I, can I be really honest that the filling of the Holy Spirit, the, the Greek word for filling, it actually means a continual filling. So even though we do our best and, you know, we'll get the lights just right and the bands practice the song and we're, we're going to pray and you'll probably feel like a million bucks as, you, as you're praying here this morning. Can I encourage you? It's just uh, we, we cultivate a passion to pray. Like I said, Rachel thought I was dorky and unfashionable. I thought she was well matured. <laughs> no, 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 not that, not that bad, not that bad, not that bad, not that bad. But passion grew. Come on, I want to challenge you this morning. Can a passion for prayer grow in your life? You don't have to be, you don't have to go from zero to I get up at 4 a.m. and pray three hours every day. Just, just like that. If God does a miracle work like that in your heart, awesome, go for it. But you know what we do need to do? We just need to take a step of passion. Come on, what's something? What's something? You, you might be thinking, well, how, you know, how, how do we do that? Really quick, actually, maybe the rest of the band can come because that helps to speed me up. Well, I know they're up here. All right. How, how, how can we do that? Well, like I said, in a moment, we're going to worship together and then we're going to pray. Can I encourage you? Don't switch off. Think about what you're having for lunch or you have to get work, done for work tomorrow or work tonight or whatever. Let's, let's engage this morning. Let's engage in worship. Let's engage in prayer. Coincidentally, there's a prayer meeting tonight, 5 to 6 p.m. Come, place yourself in an environment of prayer. You're like, you know what? I pray, I say grace, I say thank you, Jesus, for my day. And then honestly, I run out of stuff to say. It's okay. Just start to cultivate a passion for prayer. Just start to do do something. Can Can I tell you, I learned how to pray being around people who could pray. Come. And join us. It's, it's, it's relaxed. You won't feel inadequate or any, anything like that. Come and pray with us tonight. In fact, there's a few of us that pray every Wednesday morning here from 6 to 7 a.m. Just an hour. Come and join us and pray. Well, what are we doing? We're, we're developing, we're cultivating a passion for prayer. Can I encourage you with a couple of resources that we can show that um, screen, you know, with the two app things, Beck would be great. Um, Uversion, yeah, that's it. Uh, Uversion Bible app is a great app for the Bible. It also has guided prayer with it as well. Also another great one, which is called uh, Lecto 365, which is from 24-7 Prayer Network. Awesome guided prayer. You press play, it goes for about 10 minutes, and it gives you space to pray. It gives you tips on what you can what you can pray for, and it guides you through why. Because what are we doing? We're, we're not trying to be like, you know, level 10 prayer ninjas in one day. We're, we're, we're just cultivating a passion to pray. We're, cold, we're, taking, we're taking the next step to build a passion. We're taking the next step. So come on across this place. Let's stand together. We're going to worship in a moment. And before we worship, we're going we're gonna to pray. God, we thank you right now. We thank you, Lord. This morning, God, as, as, as we worship you and declare, Lord, that you are more than able. God, I thank you right now. Would you let a passion start to stir, start to stir in our hearts, Lord God. 
right now, Lord God, as we start to lift our voices. Come on, if you can pray, why don't you start to pray this morning. God, we thank you right now. Come and move in this place. Come on, come and move by your spirit, God. Come on, we aren't switching off or worrying about what we're doing next or what's for lunch, God. We're giving you time and space, Lord God. We are lifting our voices. We are worshiping you, Lord God. We declare that, Lord, you are more than able, that no matter what is placed against us, Lord God, that you give the victory, that you move in power, that you move by your spirit, Lord God. So we just thank you right now. We thank you right now. Come on, let's worship together. We're going to worship together in this song and we're going to pray.